Good morning, everybody. Just before I get started, for those of us who are going over to the Mitcham for lunch, uh, there has been a decision made that we'll meet in the similar room for about three quarters of an hour before we go over there to pray for the search committee. So if your plans are to go over to the Mitcham for lunch today, then can I invite you please to come into the, into the similar room for prayer uh, fairly soon after the service. Ian will direct traffic and tell us all what, what we're doing and where we're going, but the idea is to pray for the search committee rather than just simply chattering. Does that make sense? That's good, good, good. Uh, now, I, I wanted to say that uh, we've, we've had a very brief look at the characteristics of the kingdom. We've talked uh, about some of the... Uh, some of the results of the kingdom's action in our lives. Now, I, I want to say that um, in this kingdom, God is powerfully active all the time. We might not recognise it or see it, but he is powerfully active in individuals' lives and he is in the process with every single person of directing us to be what he wants us to be in our little servant role in the kingdom. So what he does is to mark upon a... ...be able to... Uh, form our character on the basis of his guidance in our lives to do the tasks that he has set for us. So I want to look at Elijah, not from the point of view of so much of the events, but to see what God is actually doing to create in Elijah everything he needs and to be able to transfer that to us and say, this is what, uh, this is what God might be doing in you. How are you doing? Anyway, let me read the first part of Elijah. This is chapter 17 in uh, uh, 1 Kings. Um, and I'll pass a comment or two up before we go, start going through the PowerPoint. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab's the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to, came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you give me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and please bring me uh, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil and jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to, to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as, I, as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. So this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the womanhood and her family. So the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, 
in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. He said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God, that you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. We have to understand, if we're going to cope with this passage, is that Elijah did not know what was going to happen in the next step. You and I know because we've read the story. We understand what's coming next, but Elijah didn't. And when he's asked to go and stay in the Kirith Ravine, if his brain is working, he will be saying to the Lord, that is a ridiculous suggestion. I know and you know that the creek is going to dry up because we're in the middle of a drought, and yet you tell me to go and do something that's impossible to do. Yet he did it. He announced to Ahab that... Uh, um, there was going to be no rain. How did he know? He'd been listening to the, to, to the master. And he was doing exactly as the master had said to him to do. And he believed when he went into the Kirith Ravine that he'd be fed by birds. And there'd be sufficient water for him to live. And he thought when he went there, I suppose this would be a three-week journey. I'll sit in the ravine and do what he wants me to do. And I reckon after six weeks, he probably said, well... Yeah, this, this phase is over. What about the next phase? Uh, well, no. Six weeks turns into eight weeks. Eight weeks turns into three months. Three months turns into three years. Elijah is sitting by the brook for three years. What's happening? Think by the end he's got to the three years that God has, that, that he's forgotten him. Or has he been? Maybe he's just been talking to God all along in the ravine. And maybe God has been saying to him what he needs him to know. Well, let's, let's look at this. There are hallmarks that each of us has which identifies who we are and uh, brings us to the point of being able to be recognised so that when you go through the, the, airport, uh, the airport, you can be recognised by your facial features now. But there are other things uh, that are direct our authenticity. Uh, recognition, modus operandi, the, thing, the way we do things, signature tunes linked in with a particular product, uh, our DNA or our customs. Uh, most thieves are identified on the basis that they thieve in the same way uh, all the time. I want to say to you that uh, we each of us have fingerprints, uh, unique to each of us. Behind the uniqueness lies the ownership of the reputation. Behind your fingerprints lies you. And they can tell what's going to be going on, they can identify you by your fingerprints, they can identify you by your character. Are human beings the only one to have fingerprints? The answer is no. 
God has fingerprints. They're not seen externally, but they are the things that he does in our lives to create in us the kind of character that he wants to do the particular tasks that he has for you in his kingdom. You realise that? When you were born, he said, I've identified this person who's going to do this in my kingdom for me. And I need to train this person up to be able to do things that he needs to do. I need to be able to train this lady up into doing the very things that I need her to do. I need the character development. I need the skills development. I will place skills in her life and I will develop her up to be the person I want her to be. Well, well, that doesn't come up too well, does it? The most useful thing we can do is to learn to recognise God's fingerprints in our lives. Think about how God has worked in our lives and in our hearts. We respond to God in action, seeing destiny in our experience of his fingerprints in us, learning to recognise them so they can be and do in us what they need to do. You see, the process is this. God initiates. Elijah, go and stay in the Kirith Ravine. We sense his awesomeness. I know when he said to me, I want you to go overseas to study, I had no choice really. I would not have ever dared to say, no, I'm not going to go. Family's too important. You do precisely what he tells you to do. Uh, and you know, and we had no money. How in the world did we pay the university fees? He said, go. So you go. Our perspective changes and we see things according to God. Because, you see, our God can do anything. Our God can handle the impossible because nothing is impossible for God and he will do whatever he chooses to do even though humanity has not yet realised the truth that our God is the master of the universe. Old ideas and values are changed forever. I was going to be a high school principal. That's what I was going to be. I was well on the way. Puts his finger on you and says, go and do this. My life has changed. Absolutely forever. Our lives change often dramatically. Often dramatically. Where he says, no, I'm choosing you to do, go and do this. I've done the preparation in, theological, in, in teacher's college. You've been in a teacher. You know what it means to teach. Now I'm going to turn you into a preacher. We are released into his calling and we be begin to discover the courage of the committed. We learn this little bit by little bit by little bit what we begin to discover that when the voice speaks to us, when the circumstances speak to us and others confirm with us what's happening, we automatically do what we are told to do. Go and stay in the Kerith Ravine was stupid. Being fed by birds but there was no suggestion that Elijah would do anything other than that which God had told him to do. In Elijah's life, we see a crystal clear picture of the process of God's fingerprints in action. The way he directs, the way he protects, the way he cares for, the way he provides. Fingerprint one. God deals with human beings who are serious about their relationship always on the basis of obedience. God speaks, we do. We are honest in our behaviour to do whatever he tells us to do. There's never any questioning about it. Uh, Elijah didn't say, oh, hang on, Lord, that's a ridiculous. 
suggesting that, that you want me to go into the, the Keras Ravine? What do I want to do that for? Three weeks in the Keras Ravine and, and we're going to be all dried up. Elijah, do as you're told. Now, do you struggle with that? Do you struggle with that? That in God's fingerprint development, he says to you and to me, do as I tell you to do. And when we learn to be obedient in what he tells us to do, we begin to see that God develops his kingdom people. He develops our character. He develops our skills. He develops our abilities. He develops it one by one as we respond to the thing he says to us and move on from one to the other. He has a purpose for our lives. And we think in our world our purpose is to be what we want to be. We've got to understand that when we were born, he said to us, this is your purpose. And I will see you through to the end to fulfill what I have planned for you to do. Jesus teaching, John 15, 1 to 10. John, Jesus in Hebrews 5, 8, from Moses to David, to Paul. You look through the scriptures and you'll discover that every person spoken to needs to be totally obedient. And in fact, in Moses, you remember this? Moses was disobedient and that cancelled him from going into the homeland. Incredible stuff. Why obedience? Because we human beings have the worst record in the world for perverting what God is doing to our own ends. We have the worst record in the world for trying to use God, for trying to use his resources, for trying to use his power and his authority to be what we want to be. And he says to us, Number one fingerprint is that you will always be obedient to me. And if every time we go over the trial, you can't jump the hurdle, I will take you back again and I will train you again and you will jump the hurdle and until you jump the hurdle, you will not move forward. There are many of us, many Christians, who are back at hurdle number one or number three or number four because they're determined not to jump it. And in the end, he says to us, well... That's where you want to stay. Watch Elijah and the integrity checks that God puts in place in Kings 17 following. The integrity checks that, that God puts in his way. There's a rain announcement. Go to the king, Elijah, and say to the king of the, of the whole country, I tell you on the authority of the kingdom of God that there will be no rain for the next two or three years. Well, how about you front up to King Charles and you go and you say to, to Charlie, listen, over the next three years there'll be drought completely. And he would say to you, and who do you think you are, my friend? He started to go to the brook. And that's stupid. He's told to ask the widow for food. Well, who asks a widow who's gathering sticks for food? Elijah, let me test you. At every one of these jumps, and I've only identified three or four along the way, at every one of these jumps, Elijah, will you have learnt to trust me enough to do exactly what I tell you to do, even if in your brain it doesn't make sense? The fingerprint has got to do with obedience. The, the second fingerprint has to do with the integrity checks that he puts in your life. How are you doing with your integrity checks? What's he doing? Raise the child from the dead. Oh, <coughs> sorry, Lord, but 
We don't do that as human beings. You, you, you do it. Okay then, take the boy up and ask me. Meet Obadiah. I didn't put this bit in. He, he, he meets a servant of the, of the king who's trying to find him to get him. Because Obadiah holds him accountable for everything and wants to deal with him. Why? Because in a few weeks' time, God is going to say to Elijah, I want you to stand on Mount Carmel and alone I want you to take on hundreds of the priests and prophets of Baal. Alone I will tell you exactly what to do and when the time is right, Elijah, I want you to call down fire from heaven. Now does Elijah know God well enough to have that happen? Does he believe enough that the God who says to him, bow down before me and call down fire from the heavens and it will consume all the water, it will consume the animals and everything. How well has Elijah been prepared? How about the integrity checks along your life? How have you responded to those integrity checks? Because whether you believe it or not, God is doing this stuff in your life too. He's doing it in my life. He's done it in my life. I can recognise it in who he is done. He's doing it in your life. If you take time enough, you will go back and see the things that he's already done. Preparing you for what he wants you to do. And let me tell you, if you're 93, you're not finished yet. What he wants to do with you is still to come. Isn't that right? Sorry. Yes. Fingerprint two. The Desert Bible Institute. Many of us here, some of us here have been to the Bible Institute, but not the Desert Bible Institute. It's the kind of process of God to take those for whom he has passed through desert experiences. Where we're there on our own, where circumstances are not what we would like them to be, where we struggle to cope, where scarcely anything is working properly. And for many of us, these desert experiences go on for months. And we find, our saying, find ourselves saying, I, I just can't cope with this anymore. I, I, I don't know what's going on, but I can't, I'm, not, I'm not getting there. This is, this is just too hard. Paul went through a desert experience. He had to go away and seek the Lord for a long time before he could come back to be the Apostle Paul. Moses, desert experience. He was away in the desert, uh, I remember, for 40 years after he'd killed the Egyptians. He shot through and was there for 40 years and married a couple of the girls there. Peter, how do you reckon he felt after he denied Jesus three times? Travelled the desert experience. Average people travelled the desert experience. Elijah travelled the desert experience. Why? To learn a lesson specific to the task that God has for them to do. To learn what God is wanting to say to them, wanting to use their lives for, and to be able to do it when he calls upon them. For Elijah, it is a matter of staying, stand on your own and call down fire from heaven. That's absurd. For Elijah, it's faith in God 
that the God who speaks to him is real and is true and has experienced over three years of that God speaking to him, he knows that he's there. He knows when he speaks exactly what he's got to do because he's done it for three years. Spiritual authority. I stand here as a person representing the living God. I speak on behalf of Jesus Christ and Jehovah. Spiritual authority that Elijah needed to do the things that he needed to do. Supernatural power. That can't be available to Christians, can it? But yes, he says to us, I give you authority. I give you authority to use my name. I give, my, I give you authority to pray to me. I give you authority to ask and I will, 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 will give to you. I give you authority to be my servants. To develop an intimacy with God that will sustain them through the spiritual warfare involved in what's going on in this battle with the priests and prophets of Baal. To focus their attention, to focus their attitudes onto the tasks that God has given them. You. To focus your attention, attitudes, divine destiny, onto the task that you have been given. Elijah experiences the circumstances common to all. All the self-doubt, all the, I don't think I really want to, I'm getting sick and tired of being by the ravine here, let's get going. He experiences all of that. Discovers who God is in the middle of it. He discovers that the God who speaks to him is real. The God who speaks to him is strong. The God who speaks to him will take him in directions that are unpredictable, but they will always rely on the strength of obedience and they will always rely on the power of the master. You'll never have to go it alone. But let me say this. Don't be afraid of God's DBI in your own life, Desert Bible Institute, but beware. God's desert experiences nurture us. Desert experiences of our own making, they kill us. Don't pretend. Don't pretend for a second that you're doing God's things when you're not. Because it'll get you nowhere, it could end up in your death. Think of it number three. The main thing. It's easy to be consumed by the present event. It's easy to be consumed by living in the desert and, uh, and thinking that the desert is all there is to it. You know, I, there's no fish in the, in the creek, it's drying up. There's these birds keep dobbing bits of meat into me and, and I drink the water. And let me think this through. I think perhaps I might go back to, where, to home. It's many three years, this is enough. We all do that, don't we? We all think through the circumstance. But Elijah began to discover that the issue wasn't the circumstance themselves. The issue was what God was doing with the circumstances and why he was there. It took so long because that's what it took to get to Elijah to be the, to the place where he needed to be. The critical issue, you see, is not the event. The critical issue is not standing on Mount Carmel and cutting down fire. 
The critical issue is not uh, going, to Eli going, to, going to King Ahab and saying, it's not going to rain, brother, you're finished for the next three or four years. That's not the critical event. Uh, the, the critical event is not raising a child from the dead. That's not the critical event. Each of our events of our lives carry within them the potential for subversion from the real thing. We get into the things of God and we, well, as human beings, we divert them. We turn them into something that suits our purposes or we are blinded in belief about what that, what's happening to us. So I want you to understand that the, main is that the main thing is to know Jesus, to share his heartbeat. When you know Jesus, share his heartbeat, everything falls into line. Everything is in place, but it is the main thing. And if at any point in your life, you have chosen to leave Jesus behind. He will let you go and quietly say to you, I love you. I would love you to come back and serve me and help me and care with me. But I will not control you in that kind of way. To develop a powerful relationship. This is kingdom stuff. This is who we are in the kingdom. This is not our world to develop a powerful relationship with the master of the universe, to develop a powerful relationship which longs for his company, which longs for his help, which longs to be in service for the master for the rest of our lives, which just discovers that in God there is this one who is an overwhelming love master for us all. To play our lives to him as our only audience, as a phrase we used before, doesn't matter what other people think about what I'm doing. What do you think Elijah's wife thought about him ticking off for three years to live in the, in the Kareth Ravine? What about his kids? Uh, silly man. Oh, he's gone off into the desert somewhere. You can't read that, can you? Can you read that? It's really important for you to read it. The main thing is to ensure that the main thing remains the main thing. Fingerprint four. The battle belongs to the Lord. Elijah and the priests of Baal and the great contest. Elijah was standing there, but Elijah had to know that at no time would he be called upon to use his own power. The whole time he was standing there, the whole time he was giving direction, he was giving direction that the master had told him to give, word by word step by step, now do this, now do that. Uh, now, now tell them to cut up animals and put them on the, and, and, and invite them to call down uh, fire from heaven. And when you need, my friend, my son, pour water around so that you know, nothing burns with, soaked with water, and I'll send fire. This is the task where Elijah puts into effect all he has learned about who God is, familiarity with God's voice in his commands the perception of who God is. Let's go back to that. The perception of who God is. The capacity to be able to say, oh, I've been with him for so long now. I understand him so well now. At least I think I do. He's revealed himself to me as much as he needs to. And I have realised that for every essence of my life, 
I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and I'm a servant of the living God. That's my identity. I'm a servant of the living God. I'm not here to make money. I'm not, in, I'm not here to earn a reputation. I'm not here to be brilliant, whatever else I do. It may happen, but that's what I'm here for. I'm here for to be a servant of the living God. And when my life is finished, I want to hear him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I wanted you to do. You didn't blast away and use up this life. You did how I planned for you to do. Conclusion. All of these fingerprints are dimensions of the obedience which God expects in the formation of his disciples. Every point that has prepared Elijah to do the things he needs to do is relevant to his experience in that process. Everything God has given to him. Now you might say, I've had a rough life and all the stuff that's happened to me, I, I want to hide some of that, I, I don't want to have that influence. I want to say to you that God has a capacity to use every experience of yours and to turn that around to be a powerful foundation from which you will move into the things you need to do. Not one experience of yours is lost. Not one of yours experiences has, has been uh, perverted to the point where God can't retrieve it. Everything that you have ever experienced becomes the formation capacity for God to do through you what he has planned to do. Don't front up to him and say, look, I'm not enough. I, I'm, I'm not enough. Please don't. Oh, Moses tried that. You are enough. Not you. <laughs> he is enough in you. Responding in obedience each time. Going where he says, doing what he says. Uh, will we have enough money to raise our kids if I go and do that? I'm, I mean, I want to be a high school principal. My wife says to me, you didn't go into the ministry to make money and so far it's working. <laughs> but have I missed out on anything? <laughs> I stand before you here and say to you that this God of whom I speak is a wonderful master. He'll care for you, he'll look after you, he'll protect you, he'll do everything he needs to do to have you, his servant, be what you need to be. You can trust him. You can rely on him. We have our own desert Bible institutes from time to time. Don't create them yourself, but let him do what he wants to do. Keep the main thing the main thing. These are the fingerprints of God. Don't let yourself drift. Keep the main thing of your relationship with Jesus the main thing, and everything else will flow. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's not ours. It's not about us. He just needs us to be there. He could do all of these things without us, but he has said to us, you are my servants, and in this kingdom, we will work together. Opportunity he gives for obedience for us involves us in the actions of God on earth. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> what an amazing thing. On the one hand, he creates the lakes and the lands and the... The, uh, the blizzards and the, and the earthquakes. And on the other hand, he says to, uh, he says to you, oh, you're, you're my servant, I want to work through you too. Uh, and with all the capacity I had to create those beautiful things at the bottom of the ocean and smile and laugh and delight at their creation, uh, now you're one of those creations. I want to be able to do in you what, you want, what I want you to do. Do you realise where we stand? 
where we stand in relation to this almighty God. We stand as his servants. He says, I love you. Now listen to the, to the fingerprints that I have that will turn you into the person I have for you to be. Each experience of personal formation through obedience is a step in the maturing of our lives to be like Jesus. Intimacy flows through every action of obedience. Intimacy. Face to face, knowing, knowing who he is, hearing his voice, knowing, knowing his voice. You've heard it before. You know, I know who's talking to me. Obedience has nothing to do, this is an important one, obedience has nothing to do with the diminishment of who we are, rather everything to do with expanding the horizons of who we might become. The opportunity for obedience, one of God's greatest gifts to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we stand in awe of you. We can't even pretend to fathom who you are or why you would bother with simple, silly people like us. Selfish, self-centred, desire to be controlling, want to rule our own kingdoms. Lord, how, what thought process makes it possible for you to do that? And yet we discover over and over again you long to use and these are the fingerprints in our lives that prepare us to be who you want us to be. Lord, would you allow us to step into your arms to be the people you have for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.